Welcome to the 1000 Hours Outside podcast. I am so excited about today's episode. I tell you what, it was like almost like the middle of the night and I immediately sent you a message because I just started your books. I've got uh, Lenore Skenazy on today. Um, and she just wrote this phenomenal book. Phenomenal. It's going to come up backwards to everyone else, but free range kids, how parents and teachers can let go and let grow. This is actually the second edition. Uh, and I just enjoyed it so much. I've been so excited to have this time to talk with you. I was going to uh, read your bio real quick so people can know about you. Lenore is a pres- <laughs> she's a president of Let Grow, a nonprofit promoting childhood independence and resilience, founder of the free range kids movement. She is also a speaker, a blogger, a syndicated columnist and author and a reality show host. Oh, How yeah. fun. A mother yeah, it's who, been a while. <laughs> but that's so cool though. A mother who lives in Queens, her controversial decision to let her then nine-year-old son take the New York City subway home alone became a national story and promoted massive media attention. She was dubbed America's worst mom. In response, Skenazy founded the book and blog Free Rage Kids with the aim of fighting the belief that our children are in constant danger from creeps, kidnapping, germs, grades, mm-hmm. flashers, frustration, failure, baby snatchers, bugs, bullies, men, sleepovers, and or the perils of the non-organic grape. Let Grow continues the quest to make it easy, normal, and legal to give kids back some old-fashioned independence of thought and deed. What a bio. So <laughs> I can leave now. Like <laughs> that's it. That's so me. Sign on. See you later. <laughs> oh, so Lenore, I've been sharing this quote of yours for a very long time. Um, and I had not read your book yet. So the quote mm-hmm. I've been sharing for a long time was the one about, um, it says a recent survey of moms uh, found that 70% played outside almost every day when they were growing up. Uh, now it's only 31%. Fewer than a third of our kids are playing outside anymore. Child has, has changed. Oh, wait, no, 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 I'm sorry. The one I've been sharing is the one I about- I like that. I like that one. We want our child, our children to have a childhood that's magical and enriched, but I'll bet your best childhood memories involve something you were thrilled to do by yourself. Childhood's magic words, I did it myself. <laughs> oh, so funny. I you like that, that quote. Oh, that's so funny. My kids say that to me all the time when I'm overbearing. I did it myself, mom. And I was like, okay, yeah. I get it. I get it. I have to take my own advice. Yes. Yeah, I love that one. And I've been sharing it for a long time. And then I picked your book up and it is so entertaining. It's actually at the oh, end. Good. It's that quote is at the very end of the book. And I, for the whole time I was reading the book, I thought, is this somewhere else? <laughs> it's right at the very end. But um, I picked up your book and I read at night a lot of times. And we've got a little one that still comes in the bed. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, she's she's <laughs> she's not forming her independence quite yet. So but I was having to stifle my laughs and I'm like, snor- ah! I'm snorting. It's so <laughs> funny. Well, this one that I was just reading that says childhood has changed in less time than it takes to say Red Rover, Red Rover let's go inside and play call of duty <laughs> right. it's just so funny and just even though chapter titles we all scream for ice screens it's just phen- a phenomenal book this is so great I, and, I don't need therapy anymore i'm just gonna listen to the beginning of this podcast <laughs> Yay! you know lenore it's just it was such a, a breath of fresh air to read your book uh i've read a lot of books about parenting and play and they're inspiring and they're encouraging but yours is also entertaining and that's unique 
you know. Thank you. Uh, yeah. I mean, the whole idea, really, all I like to do is laugh and make jokes and mutter under my breath. So I got a chance <laughs> to do it in book form. And, yes. and you're the beneficiary. So I'm glad you get yes. that. And, and really, I was just talking to this guy today who's trying to bring more play to Italy. And he's like, what recommendations do you have? Because it's so difficult. I'm like, I'm a, such a lazy slug. I have no <laughs> recommendations other than it's not hard. If you put some yes. kids outside with a couple of balls, a jump rope, and an old suitcase, you don't have to do anything, which is always my goal. <laughs> so that's, that's the whole book, I hope. It's just like this fun to read, not a big deal. We've lost our minds. We think that everything requires, you know, 10 years of study and a, a lot of footnotes and a, a lot of training. And maybe it doesn't, you know, right. so that's all. Right. Right. Yeah. It's so refreshing. And I just so thoroughly enjoyed it. Like I said, I think I got through maybe three or four pages and I was like, oh, I have to talk to this. I have to talk to this author. You, you got me. <laughs> yeah. So, so I was, um, I wrote out a couple different themes I found throughout the book. So I thought maybe we could talk about a couple of those. Um, the first one really is just fear. And, um, you know, one of the quotes you have in the book is that all the fear in the world doesn't present, prevent death. It prevents life. And I thought that was really an impactful thought. Um, and so just a couple different fears that sort of come up throughout the book. Obviously, one is, you know, the fear of abduction. So I'll kind of leave that one to the end because you talk a lot about that in, in your book. But but there's also this fear that leads to overscheduling, yeah. you know, and, and sort of filling in all the time of time and space. Um, and, you know, have you found that that's sort of a newer fear, um, you know, that's kind of come in over the past several decades? Um, for sure, I have. And I'll, I can just throw this back at you. Um, were you scheduled your uh, entire afternoon and weekends? No, no, not at all. No. Yeah. And, um, you know, but what I'm finding, it, you know, kids are scheduled from seven in the morning till seven at night. And I liked what you said in your book that um, mediocrity is nipping at our children's heels. <laughs> you know, and if they ever trip or fall, our current culture delights in warning us their future is grim indeed, you know, right. or you had another right. one. Woe to the child who develops a good pencil grip at age seven instead of four, right. you know? So, right. um, you know, do you think that overscheduling at its root sort of stems from fear? Yeah, I'm glad you figured that out because it took me a long time to realize that. So one of the things I write sometimes is that there's two fears stalking American parents. And one is that their kids will be kidnapped, raped, and eaten. And the other is that they won't get into Harvard. And either way, they require constant supervision, right? Because you don't want your kid to be hurt. And you don't want your kid to, once again, fall behind and leave any of that potential on the table that could have gotten them to a better school, a better job, a better life. And it's uh, what's depressing to me, I guess, and you got me in a dour mood. I'm thinking, oh, I used to be so funny. I wrote that book. I was so funny. And now look, I'm going to tell you what's depressing <laughs> about our culture. But what's depressing is this idea that kids are learning when we're teaching them something. And otherwise, oh, sorry. <laughs> that otherwise, there's nothing is going on. I mean, we right. seem to think that the default mode of kids is blank, a blank stare, um, no curiosity, no gumption, no, no playfulness at all. And so we better be there because otherwise that time will be wasted. And so I have a chapter in the book, and this is a, it's a new chapter uh, in this edition, um, how wasted time, how, what is it? A waste of time isn't a waste of time. Because yes. I, 
Yeah. I mean, I had so much fun researching that one because my, my thesis was, or my hypothesis was that what you do in your free time, just because it's fun, not because it's for a goal or a teacher or a grade or a trophy or a scholarship, just because it's fun, something that interests you. I cannot tell you how many coasters I made out of glue. Guess what happens when you put a cup on a coaster made of glue? It remelts. It's just the worst, <laughs> worst possible idea for a coaster or how to spend your time and, or how to waste your glue. I mean, it was just dumb. <laughs> and then I would take tissue paper and squeeze the color out of it as if color only existed in tissue paper. There was, it was so pointless. And I cannot tell you that that's what made me the stunning success I am today. But I can tell you it didn't prevent anything. Right. right? And it gave right. me a chance to just pursue something for fun. And there were things that I did that were built on that or aside from that, that did lead me to who I am today, writing endless yeah. poems, writing endless stupid stories. Because Kids have a lot of innate drive, and I, yeah. I think they need somebody to give them paper, you know, maybe even tissue paper, and, you know, somebody has to provide the glue, uh, but you, the idea that all that time was wasted and I should have been spending it in French horn lessons or um, even, you know, getting some tutoring so my grades would have been higher, that is, that's the fear, that if I was just wasting my time or you were just wasting your time, for instance, playing outside when you could have been doing something that is literally academic or something that you can get a scholarship in um, is is the only way to make a kid smart and successful. That's wrong. Kids have never had constant adult tutelage the way we think they need now. And it's wrong to think that they don't get anything out of goofing around or having fun with friends or being curious. They get so much. Their brains get wired as opposed to being passive which is what they often are when somebody is teaching them something that they then do because they're supposed to. Right. Well, I think I wanted to be the controlling mom. That was sort of my plan was to direct. We're a, we're a homeschooling family. And my plan mm -hmm. was to direct it and to check off all the little content standards. And then out of um, situational, um, the situation that we were in, right. You know, we had four kids, four and under once kindergarten came around, you know, and so mm -hmm. I couldn't do that. And so I had to let go and had to sort of pull back and say, we're going to wait and we're going to wait to do academics until seven and, you know, certain um, philosophies back that up. And because I had to walk through that fear, well, then I learned these kids are doing great. You know, they're thriving and they're growing and the growth isn't linear. You know, right. it's not necessarily the check the box growth, but it's beautiful growth. Um, it's their own growth. And when they mm -hmm. play, all of the facets of their development are enhanced. And so I like what you just said. You said that's wrong. You know, it's wrong to think we have to fill every single moment with these resume builders. Um, because that's coming from fear and, and possibly just misinformation, I think. Um, oh, I, I'm sure it's a lot of misinformation because there are so many um, books telling you, you know, here, one of the, I always read Parents Magazine just to get annoyed enough to write. <laughs> and um, one of the Parents Magazine articles was, uh, raise a music lover. And it's like, okay, what do I have to do? And it's like, you know, introduce them early and show them the notes on the page and take them to this and that. And it's like, don't you think most kids love music? Don't, don't most people love music? And yeah. in general, isn't it sort of hardwired into humanity? 
And yeah. the idea was that you had to do certain things by certain ages. And I remember like I was raising a music haters by taking them to music and mommy and me and mush. And it was like, now we all have to sing this song. And the parents were out of their minds with boredom and the children were looking around and waiting for the snack. And there's just this idea that um, the misinformation often comes from people who have something to sell. And I don't blame, you know, music teachers for wanting to teach music and camp counselors for wanting to run camp. But the idea that without them, nothing would turn on or it would be inferior to the expert-led education that you can get. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Question, what's the first thing you do if you had an extra hour in your day? Read a few chapters of that book, start painting that guest bedroom, tackle that pile of laundry, play a card game with your kids. A lot of us spending our lives wishing we had more time. The question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. If you're feeling stuck, therapy is something that can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. Therapy is a wonderful thing. It can help you learn positive coping skills or show you how to navigate properly setting boundaries. With BetterHelp, it's easy to get started. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try and visit BetterHelp.com slash 1000 hours to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash 1000 hours. I have been looking for simple ways to form healthy habits and get the nutrients my body needs when my immune system feels unsupported. And that's why I decided to give AG1 a try. Not only does AG1 deliver my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics and more, but it's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day. And it makes me feel nourished and ready to face the day. As a parent, longevity is on my mind more than ever before. I want to make sure I'm taking really good care of myself so I can continue to show up for the moments that matter with my kids. Every day, AG1 helps me build long-term health with daily nutrients that support brain, gut, and immune health. All it takes is one scoop a day, and I'm setting myself up for the long run. AG1 is a supplement I trust to provide the support my body needs daily, and that's why I'm excited to welcome them as a new partner. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash 1000. That's drinkag1.com slash 1000. Check it out. There's a class, there's, there's a chain of pre, what are they called? They're called Tumbles Gyms. And they have a class for four month olds um, to teach them how to start paying attention to their surroundings and, you know, developing <laughs> early language skills. I'm like, and it helps them crawl. And I, you know, I look at our culture and I go, really, there is a crawling and looking around class. And if you're asking about misinformation, that's misinformation. Every human being in the history of humanity who had a, you know, who was neurotypical 
learn how to crawl and look around and pay attention and even speak the language, even a confusing language like Chinese, <laughs> just mm -hmm. by being curious and absorbing. And they did not need an expert to say, now we're going to start talking with blends. A blend is when two letters are together. Can you say blend? That's a B <laughs> with an L. You don't have to do that to kids. They're going to talk. They're going to walk. They're going to look around. They're going to understand cause and effect. And I will show you one now. There. Oh, my God. Pretty soon, a kid learns that, that gravity is working. Maybe they don't call it gravity, but they learn these things because they're curious. They're they're wired to be, that, that is our superpower as humans. Baby gazelles come out and they can already walk and the equivalent of gazelle talk. They're just, they're, they're perfect. They can eat, they can run. They are set for life when they're born. And the only thing that we have when we're born, because we are floppy and, and completely incompetent for several years, uh, possibly decades, some would say. But <laughs> what we have is curiosity. And the, the experts that are telling you, you better start teaching them X or Y, because otherwise they'll never learn it, are saying that there is no curiosity and that kids hmm. won't pursue anything on their own that could ever get them ahead. And so you better be there with an expert and a, and a worksheet, preferably. Yeah. Well, what's so interesting about that is it's so counterintuitive to what we see those first three years. So for example, I mean, what I see is that kids learn for mastery without any program of study, without even knowing what day of the week it is, right? You know, <laughs> right. they learn and they master it. And then they, they then they know what to move on to next. Um, you know, and we see that all the way through early childhood. And then all of a sudden it seems like we swoop in and take over, or like you're saying, now it's moving back further and further to four month olds. You yeah. know, but then we swoop in and take over and forget, you know, that they are going to pursue things on their own and grow on their own. Um, you know, without right. someone telling them to do what to do all the time. Yeah. And, and what we're talking about is some free time. I mean, I'm not saying that there can be no instruction, that there's nothing beneficial of, um, you know, having adults around, having kids of other ages around, literally teaching them and sometimes just teaching by example. But mm -hmm. um, you need some breathing time and you need to trust that we couldn't have gotten this far in human history. Einstein, what did Einstein do in his free time? Do you know? I don't. He built card houses. <laughs> oh, that's in the book. I remember that from the book. Yeah, yeah. I think, because I think that's one of the most amazing things. And it's like, yeah. okay, you know, you're, you're Mr. Einstein, Dr. Einstein, I guess. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. what did you do that made your brain so smart? You know, were you in physics lessons? Did you go to the university at age seven? And it's like, I was building these card houses and you think, well, I guess that was downtime that gave him time to, you know, to, to re-rev up. And it's like, I'm not sure it was downtime. It's a lot of concentration. There's a lot of frustration. You know, they always fall, you know, yeah. it's even a metaphor, the house of cards, right? And so yeah. they're falling and then you're trying it again. And maybe there's some physics involved. Oh, this works better if there's a, you know, if the surface tension is whatever it is. I don't know what actually goes into building a, a card house. So maybe we should be doing that. <laughs> That's I feel like Einstein I say this and, and people are running out to get cards and then they're getting the wrong cards because they think it's flashcards. Like, no, 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 flash cards. regular cards. Like the playing cards. Yeah. But, and what did he do? Maybe he did need time for his brain to start thinking about other things like, you know, right. Whatever he thought about uh, yeah. relativity or dinner, you know, you're mm -hmm. allowed to have untutored time. Yeah. And you can still be really smart and you'll possibly have more internal motivation mm -hmm. as opposed to external motivation. I just got a letter before I was 
talking to you, I was reading a letter from a, a lady who's been teaching in dental school for 20 years in England. And she says over 25 years, and she said over those years, the kids have become so much more afraid of um, doing something wrong, which is sort of what you want in a dentist. You don't want them to be like, oh, let's just improvise. Right. Um, but to the point where they're like not willing to do even what they have to do, because what if I get it wrong? And they're so fragile. And she feels that it's because they've almost been, a, a lot of the kids have been pushed into this. They're good students. They do well on tests. This is a prestigious job. Let's do it. And there's no real internal interest in the workings of teeth, you know, and wow. cavities and mouths. And so you want kids to develop some kind of sense of who they are, what they like doing. And and the, the chapter in the book about a wasted time is not a waste of time is all these I think interesting stories about people who are very, you know, happy in what they're doing and sometimes even successful in what they're doing as grown-ups, and who see a straight line back to what they did just for fun as kids. So wow. I'll ask you, what what did well, you do just for fun? Well, you know, I I play the piano, and so um, and I loved it. You know, I didn't play because I had to, and so mm -hmm. that's that's a big part of my adult life, and. Oh, you know, so, um, and I also have always really loved kids. And, um, you know, I started working with young kids in church and at a pretty young age. And so I think that that has circled back for me where, you know, I have this interest in children and, and how they learn and how they thrive. And, and so I'm kind of on that same path. You know, like you talk, you talk about this in your book, I really liked it. You, there was something in the book that, um, I actually have, have not heard people talk about. So you hear people talk about falling forward or, or falling or failing forward, you know, these different terminologies But you yeah. talked about sort of failing and turning, you know, that, that sometimes or falling and turning or that sometimes when we fail, we should change direction. Yeah. And, and I liked, I like that because I don't think that we talk about that very much. We say, push, 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 keep going, keep going, keep going. Try, try again. Yeah. I, yeah. And I thought, well, that was a really freeing thing. What if that's not for the kid? And I think it, it um, goes along with what you're saying that, you know, sometimes things show up very early for children, you know, what they're drawn to. And um, so sometimes we should recognize that, I guess, as parents, right. And as teachers. Sometimes things show up really early and sometimes things that we think that they're going to like or that they do like, they don't like forever. Or sometimes you think it's a great idea. I mean, in the book, I talk about one kid taking guitar and one take, one of my sons taking piano and both of them bailing on it and us going, okay. And I needed help with that because I thought, you know, oh, what about quitters never win? And, you know, you have to, you have to work hard at something before you do enjoy it. So this is the, this is the front loading part and then they'll get the enjoyment later on. Um, but I did talk to a psychiatrist and why do we always have to talk to experts? But I did, and I was writing books, so it was an excuse. Um, and he said, why do we think that you have to do something even if you hate it because it will be great later on? He said, we don't make people like, I know you hate him, but marry him anyway. And 17 years later, you'll be grateful or you can divorce that. It's like, you know, the kids were not interested in the music and I was not interested in listening to, to them play their music so badly <laughs> or, or, um, you That's know, there, there's a Yiddish phrase, how can a Chinook that like, why aren't you practicing? Why aren't you practicing? That was a terrible dynamic. And so I have to say, they're not musical in terms of creating music. They're musical in that they like music and they listen to music, like most of us. Um, but they didn't have to fail forward and keep working on it. They could just right. let it slide. Right. I liked what you said in the book. You said failed, floundered, and reborn. I thought it was a big I thing. <laughs> I 
don't even remember. You did. You said, and then it said, um, failing allows for a chance to try again, but it also allows for something else just as valuable, the chance for a child or adult to call it quits and go in an entirely new direction. So I have that written down because I have not heard many people talk about that at all, sort of this permission to shift. Um, and I thought that was really beautiful, a really good reminder for parents. Um, you have my permission to shift. Yeah, it's, it's really good. Uh, you, got a, you got a whole lot in this book about play, um, yeah. essential to childhood, like love, sunshine, and broccoli all juiced together. Yeah. I love I it. I've seen that on a poster now, and I thought that was cool. Like, I always thought I should Aww. be the one who makes the poster of the cat hang in there, baby, but I don't think I'm quite as popular as that, but I did like that. Yeah, sunshine, broccoli, and love all juiced together. You just talk about how kids are learning so much through play. The example that you give in that, in that little paragraph is about throwing a ball and they're learning force. And then they're, if they break the window, you know, they're learning different physical properties. Mm -hmm. And then you say, and economics, which is really <laughs> funny, right? That, um, you know, play, but play has disappeared uh, from the landscape of childhood uh, for the most part. And um, do you sort of see it starting to come back? Do you see that parents are coming around and kind of getting it? Um, I sure see a lot of people writing about it from where I am because people are always sending me studies and they're sending me articles about it. Um, it's very hard, you know, a, a big part of the book is that I don't blame parents for anything that they're doing, including me who, you know, my kids would wake up on Saturday mornings and say, what are we doing, mom? And it's like, how, how come they got to that point? Shouldn't they just be running around and having fun on their own? And it's very hard to fight a culture that has come up with activities, the enriching or the, you know, uh, super life making activities of like, well, there's soccer in the morning and then there's a birthday party. And then don't forget in the afternoon, we're going to do a little tutoring. These are just, this is the way childhood has been organized. And if you're the only one who wants the kids to go out and play, you can't even do it because unless they're, you know, unless you have four kids, there, there isn't enough going on for kids to have any interest. Peter Gray, who's my guru in all these things, he wrote Free to Learn, talks about how kids are not lured necessarily outside by the outdoors itself. They're lured by other kids outdoors and the fun of playing with them and tag and climbing trees and making a fort and lemonade stand. And so the, the interest in play is there, but the ability to make it happen is less so because every kid is either busy or indoors on electronics, or the parents are worried that if they go outside, they'll be hurt, or if they go outside, there's nobody fun to play with, and so they're indoors again. So Let Grow, which is the nonprofit that grew out of free range kids, uh, came up with, and it wasn't, again, it wasn't me, it was Peter Gray, um, with a good idea for an easy way to get free play back into kids' lives. I was just talking to this guy in Italy who's doing it there now with some schools which is called the Let Grow Play Club. I don't care if you call it that. It sort of helps me with donors if you call it the Let Grow Play Club, but it doesn't really matter. And that is for schools to stay open before or after school for mixed age, no devices, total lot of junk out there, free play. And what I mean by that is that the kids come early and there's an hour or after school, there's an hour or two or three when they just get to do what they feel like. And some kids will end up playing a football game and some kids will end up building something and some kids will just talk in a corner. But what they have is a place that parents trust is safe enough because it's school. They were going to be at school today anyhow. So they're either there before or after school. You have enough kids so there's kids to play with. There's mixed ages because generally if you're in an organized activity that is any kind of physical activity, it's 
it's striated by age. You know, the nine-year-olds are playing in the nine-year-old league and the 12-year-olds are playing in the 12-year-old league. But when a 12-year-old plays with a nine-year-old, that's a different thing because especially with a 12-year-old playing with a very young kid, like a, a six-year-old, the 12-year-old is not going to throw their fastball at the six-year-old unless there's a big problem. And so generally, they play nicely. They, they sort of help the little kid, and that's the budding of empathy. And the little kid, who would normally be so mad at his friend and, you know, and stomp off or go to his mom, wants to, to look cool to the 12-year-old because he's 12. And so instead of crying, they pull themselves together when they, they lose and they go to the back of the line. And that's the beginning of like self-control or executive function. And so yeah. if you have a place for free play and you've organized it so that the teachers or whoever is observing it knows that their job is not to organize the games, it's not to solve the arguments, it's just to be there in case a bone is sticking through the skin, um, then you have a pretty close approximation of free play. You don't have the exploration and oftentimes you don't have the, the nature because you're just on a blacktop, but you do have the essential ingredient, which is kids of a lot of different ages and preferably some junk out there, old suitcases, balls, jump ropes. I don't know. Uh, yeah, right. That, what they call the loose parts, right? Things that you can kind of manipulate, kind of like how nature is, right? Manipulate and to use in different creative ways. Right. I, I love the part when you're talking about the play club, you talked about, you know, like for example, and I don't know if this was a real story or just sort of you know something that could happen but you know a kid that feels really out of place you know a nine-year-old let's say feels out of place having a hard time making friends within his grade and one of the things in the book it talks about how you know kids at the same age they come they're competitive you know but but right. when, you, when you have this striation of ages you yeah. know well then there's a six-year-old that really is into the nine-year-old and then the nine-year-old feels better you know mm -hmm. and and the self-esteem is lifted and you know maybe you know, maybe they connect on this different level. I know for my own children, um, I have a nine-year-old and her very best friend of all the people she's ever met is seven, you know, and, yeah. and they yeah. connect. There's something about right. their connection. And, you know, so it's really precious to watch that and, and to see that they're allowed to play together. And, um, yeah. you know, so a play club like that, where you say you've got the mixed ages and, um, you know, it will be so beneficial. And like you say in the book, and like you say now, it's it's free, you know, except for maybe <laughs> yeah. staffing, you yeah. know, but it's, and it doesn't take any preparation, really. It's just about letting the kids go. Um, it's, it's a brilliant idea for schools, you know, for helping with all sorts of things. Yeah, we've heard that it helps with discipline problems and stuff. What was I gonna say? You know, the, the nine-year-old with the seven-year-old, to be sort of marveling at that would be strange in another generation, right? Because right. like, you know, sisters are often best friends. There could be several years between them. And sometimes you're in a neighborhood and, you know, you're the only fifth grader on the block and everybody else is a little younger or older and you end up being friends with them. It's, it's, it's weird to think that you have to only be, or it's, that it's only normal to be friends with somebody exactly your age and to, to be reaching down is to be reaching down because obviously they're both getting something really great from that right. friendship. Everyone wants to start their year off on the right foot, and for me, that means making sure I'm eating well and have enough energy to do everything I want to do. But I'm not going to run to the butcher every day to get a fresh cut of quality meat. That's why Good Chop is such a lifesaver for our family. Good Chop offers fully customizable boxes of high-quality meat and seafood delivered to your door on your schedule. Their products are vacuum-sealed and frozen at peak freshness, so you can stock your freezer and cook when you want. 
We had a somewhat last minute get together recently and it was so incredibly convenient to just head to the freezer and pull out a couple bags of Good Chops hamburger patties to whip up some burgers quickly. They were so delicious. Besides being delicious, it's important to know it won't cost you a fortune either. Good Chops price per meal starts at just $3.74. Go to goodchop.com slash outside120 and use code outside120 to get $120 off across your first four boxes. That's code outside120 at goodchop.com slash outside120 for $120 off. Goodchop.com slash outside120 code outside120. Eating better is easy with Factors delicious ready to eat meals. Every fresh never frozen meal is chef crafted, dietitian approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. So get started today and get after your goals. Some of the things we love about Factor are their two-minute meals. You can fuel up fast with Factor's restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat whenever you are. Our kids love the pancakes, smoothies, and more. And there's a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, including midday bites. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. And remember, to sign up and save, we've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com slash outside50 and use code outside50 to get 50% off. That's code outside50 at factormeals.com slash outside50 to get 50% off. My, my friend, like in, in high school, I would say my best friend was my neighbor who had do- dropped out of college <laughs> and moved back home. And we spent the weekends together and she's still a very dear friend a zillion, trillion years later. And I'm so glad she didn't think like, wow, it's embarrassing for me to be with a high school student now that I'm 21 and that our parents didn't say, no, you can't be friends. That's a strange, you know, she's too old for you or anything. Friendship is who you connect with, not the age. Yeah, I agree. And by, I think, allowing these free play experiences, I think that becomes a part of who kids are. You know, I, um, so our, our movement is about basically giving the permission to play. It was like, we're trying to have a goal of outside time and and so people often assume that I love going outside and also that my kids do, which uh, both are, you know, not the truth. I just want to play the piano. Like I said earlier, that's oh, indoors, you know, and, um, okay. you know, and, you know, and my kids, they don't ever want to go outside unless there's friends coming. And if there's friends coming, then they're absolutely, even though I have five children, you know, you talk about large families and things, but four. You know, they don't. I've got five, you know, they don't, okay. they don't really want, I mean, they play with each other, but they play with each other better when there's other kids involved. And so, you know, I, I think that there is this piece where the parents have to be so much more involved now because you have to set it all up, you know, you have to meet at the park or, you know, kind of like you said, it's just not happening in the neighborhoods. And so it takes more effort. Um, but we have found that the effort is really worth it because once you get there, mm-hmm. you know, then the kids are having a blast and they're growing and, um, you know, then I'm forming relationships too with these other families. So it's kind of, a, it's different than how it used to be, but, but also still kind of neat and, and very fulfilling. Uh, 
But I like what you said about, and Peter Gray says in his book too, he says kids would rather play with friends than be on screens, which is surprising. You know, you would think that that's not true. Um, But I've seen it with my own children, man. If there's friends, they want, they want to go, you know? Yeah. (laughs) They're ready. No, I see that. I see that here. And I actually have to say, I'm I'm in a summer community. It's very old fashioned. It's been around for like a hundred years. And our neighbor who's six, this summer has become very good friends with a four-year-old another boy and you just see them running around and then you see some older kids and everybody worries like aren't the older kids going to bully the younger kids and is it bullying i mean i saw an older kid yesterday he's probably about 10 leading younger kids into okay everybody has to pick apples these crab apples fell on the ground and now we're going to put them in a box and then they were all going around yelling you know marshall's apples is marshall's we're going to buy so marshall was clearly the ringleader and he sort of had little servants you know, picking up apples for him, but everybody was so excited. They had started a company, you know, Marshall's apples, get your apples. And so the different ages can be a great thing. And Marshall is learning how to be a leader. And these other kids are learning how to, you know, be part of a team and make something happen that they might not have thought of because they're five and six years old, but with a 10 year old leading them. Now they've got something new in their their play vocabulary, which is a horrible phrase, but something new that they know how to do and and create, you know? So there's just so much to be said for getting kids together without a big agenda of what they have to do, but with some time and and sometimes more time than we think. Uh, I was just reading, Illinois just passed a law that said that schools must provide at least half an hour of playtime per day and the chunks cannot be smaller than 15 minutes. And I'm thinking, my kids had that quote unquote half hour of recess of which five minutes was spent lining up before you could go outside. And another five minutes was spent lining up to get back inside. And there was no running around. It's like half an hour is not what you spent in your childhood playing with your friends, was it? And not even in recess. Like I remember that recess was an hour and we had several of them you know, and we'd get lost in our play. I, I have a specific memory, memory of being on the playground and we had those big tire tubes, you know, those tube like tires, big tires, and they were stacked and you could go crawl inside of it. Oh, wow. And okay. I remember being in there with a girlfriend of mine in elementary school and we just, I'm pretending and we lost track of time and we poked our heads out and no one was on the playground, oh. you know, everyone was gone and, and we missed That's it. So great. You know, we missed the bell oh. and, you know, so I'm, and Angela Hanscom's got a book called Balanced and Barefoot and she talks about how it can take up to 45 minutes for kids to develop what they're going to play. You talk about it in your book too, you know, that sometimes we just have to take take a deep breath and just kind of wait for them to get through that time of figuring out what they're going to do um you know and then they kind of dive into that creative world but with recess being so short there's not enough time for it um for them to get to that to that like mode <laughs> you know you yeah. have to get through the date you know that uh, from hello to the to the kiss good night yeah. in in half an hour it's like that that doesn't allow for something to develop and right. so right yeah there was I think I think I put it in the book. My friend Camilo was at the park with his ten-year-old, and it was two hours. He's like, "Let's go home," and he said, "Dad, no, we're just about to start yes. our war." Yes. And and I think about how Camilo could have made that war start sooner. You know, okay, here's this gaggle of kids, and they're they're having a trouble deciding, you know, how are we going to play this, and who's on what team, and is this the safe spot, or is how do you get out of jail? Do you have to, you know, what 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 is involved in this world? 
that they're creating. And it's like, well, I, I played this before. We're going to count off by twos and you're going to this side and the sewer is safe and go. <laughs> and, and parents and adults who look at kids think they're not playing. They're wasting their time when they should be playing. But it's, it's like back to that wasted time thing. What looks like wasted time in the arguing and then that's not fair and then we'll try it this way. All the negotiating, the mm -hmm. compromising, the frustration, the team building, that is why play exists. I mean, the right. theory is that animals, especially mammals and especially humans, are driven to play because that's how they're going to practice all the skills that they're going to need to get along in life. Yes. And actually, I don't think I put this in the book, but one of the coolest things that some play expert said to me once is that, you know, when you're a kid, what are some of the games that are universal? There's tag, right? Everybody mm -hmm. plays tag, sometimes even freeze tag. There's hide and go seek, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. And, and there's, you build a fort. I mean, did you build forts or tents or something Absolutely. like that? Absolutely. Yep. Okay. Okay. So let's think back to when we were primates before we had evolved to homo sapiens. What do we need to do? Hmm. We need to catch our food, right? We need to hide so that we don't become the food uh, for another animal or hominid. And then we need shelter. And so these drives are as old as humanity and possibly older because they're all the things that we need to do to survive. And wow. in between all that is all the negotiating with each other and the compromise and the, the, the friendship that it creates when you're playing that will also my, my husband is like building a fort himself in the kitchen. <laughs> yeah, that's great. it sounds like that's right great. he has friends over and they sound like they're using um power tools anyways um that's so so to deny kids that because they should be spending more time on their fraction worksheet right. is pretty silly right yeah one of the last things that you talked about in here that i i never read about was um about how boredom is more painful than actual pain. Uh, <laughs> is that interesting? Super interesting. Yeah. So yeah. you know, you have that whole study about you yeah. know uh, boredom and and people are choosing pain, physical pain over boredom, and so it's an interesting yeah. thing for people to pick this book up and read because I'd never read about that before. But just yeah. that, so that means that boredom is a motivator, you know, to yeah. get out of that state of boredom and to find something creative to do, um, and and to fill that time with whatever the child finds worthy. Um, so I really. Right. I really liked that part of the book. Yeah, that um, was this cool study where um, people were shown a machine that like gives you a, a little slightly painful shock. And then the um, the professor, the, the researcher leaves the room and says, well, I'll be back in half an hour. And there's nothing in the room except the machine that gives you a slightly painful shock. And after a while, everybody's like, hmm, let me try that. Ah, <laughs> let me try that again. That's kind of interesting. Oh, yeah, it hurts. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they kept doing that because otherwise you're like, I mean, yeah. obviously, I'm part of the real world, so I know that when I'm bored, this is this is always here. And so that's why in play clubs, the rule is that you don't have your devices. I'm not anti-device. I'm not anti-tech. But I know that me, I fill up my time by constantly scrolling through Twitter when I don't have anything else to do um, yeah. or to fill in that interstitial time. So yeah. you do want to give kids some time when they can't find something immediately to do that will entertain them electronically. Right, because then they'll they'll be intrinsically motivated to figure it out, you know, because they yeah, don't want to be bored. Right, or they'll go and shock yeah. themselves. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs>
Yes. Uh, so, Lenora, I just cannot say enough about how much I enjoyed your book. Um, really, you can fun, you, you can't awesome. stand up. That's and right. Say really more. awesome. The second the second edition came out, so you know I'm just imploring families. This is a great read. Um, and so, if people are wanting to find more about Let, Let Grow, about Play Club, about Free Range Kids, uh, what's what's the best way to find you? Um. I'd say the best way is to go to letgrow.org and people always get it wrong. They think it's let's grow or let's go or okay. let grow. So it's L-E-T-G-R-O-W, letgrow.org. And the reason I'm suggesting there is because obviously we have a blog like every place else, but we also have all the school materials and the explanation for teachers and parents and how to run a play club and also to do the Let Grow Project, which is our other school initiative, which is extremely simple, which is the kids get a homework assignment to go home and do something new on their own without their parents. They can ride their bike, run an errand, make muffins, uh, babysit, just something new that gets parents used to a little time away from their kids and kids used to seeing how it feels to actually do something without somebody observing you, helping you, um, with you all the time, an adult. So all that stuff is free. And it's on letgrow.org. So if you're a teacher or a school administrator or a school counselor, I really recommend going to letgrow.org and looking on school programs because there you can just download our information. And then if you have a story to tell me, because I'm always looking for great stories of kids doing something independently, surprising you, um, changing because they have found a new interest or competence or um, confidence that you didn't see in them when you were helping them and they sort of got it on their own, please write to me. I'm Lenore, L-E-N-O-R-E at letgrow.org. So, That's easy. Yeah, That's it is easy. easy. Although I'm yeah. sure everyone will forget. But um, try to remember, or if you look up, look if you look up America's Worst Mom, you'll find me there. <laughs> there we go. So, That's a good. That's, I, liked, I liked in the book when you talked about all the let grow, um, you know, things that the kids did, that that independence and that confidence showed up in other areas. Um, I yeah. thought that was really neat. And you talked about how it helps with anxiety. Um, and so I think those let grow experiences can be done, obviously in the classroom, they can be done at home. Parents can do those um, or help facilitate with their kids. So mm -hmm. um, it's great, letgrow.org. Uh, let's end with this. What's a, a favorite outdoor childhood memory of yours? I think I like free things, you know, and, and cheap things. I really like flea markets, et cetera. But when I was a kid at 10, um, we ended up moving someplace where there was a lot of land. Um, and I would wander around and find all the free fruit. It had been an overrun orchard, so there were apples. Um, and there were free, uh, I guess you'd call them wild, as opposed to free, <laughs> grapes. And I took them home and I made them into jelly. And it was amazing to me that you could find something and sort of survive on it. Uh, so that's a favorite memory. And that one actually didn't have other kids. That was just me wandering around by myself with all the free food that happens to grow when you have an orchard. <laughs> I love that. Well, Lenore, thank you for your time. Thank you for your movement. Um, and thank you for writing just the most entertaining uh, <laughs> parenting book that I have ever read. You know, I think Jenny, we all want, I we all want to be speak entertained. Speak into the mic, right? that's just great. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, thank you. and. Um, you know, hopefully we'll connect again soon. Tell me a story. All right, yes, it's a great right. way to do it. Thanks, Lenore. Okay, bye, Jen.
It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory. Two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And this is our new podcast, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. What happens when your creative spark just seems to disappear? Gone. Poof. Bye. See ya. What happens when life gets in the way of your creativity instead of nourishing it? That's what happened to Molly and me. We felt like the thing that drove us creatively stopped working and impending doom had in fact impended. Totally. So we decided to do something about it. And that was steal ideas about getting unstuck from the most creative people we can find. We talked to guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. And we're not just talking Bob Ross type paint on paper artists here, though we talk to them too. We're talking to actors, creative directors, dancers, and people who are working hard to be their best creative selves in a world that can sometimes feel real uncreative. We all have something to teach each other, so let's steal their ideas together. Join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Pandemics, school calendars, world events, lack of sleep, oh, get out of their life gunk. And let's get back to your best creative self. Subscribe to Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. You're not going to want to miss an episode. Unsticking It with Blair and Molly, because sometimes life sucks. Unsticking